The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Archaeology is often viewed as a fascinating, eclectic, and ultimately quaint pursuit. This program explores archaeology from the perspective of professionals who demonstrate that in the 21st century, archaeology and its sub-disciplines may hold the key, not only to our past, but to our present and future. Welcome to Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology, with your host, Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. Spend the next hour exploring where we came from and where we're headed with a leading researcher and practitioner in the field. Now, here is Dr. Schuldenrein. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology. One of the topics that uh, I've been hammering home for uh, these two years that we've been on the air is the entire question about uh, bringing archaeology to the public. And I think one of the missions that I had set forth when I took the program on and uh, negotiated the theme of the topic with, with the producers here, and I, I think it was more their idea, it was to really bring archaeology to... As, as as a consum as a consumable industry, if you will, uh, for a number of reasons, I think people are innately fascinated by the topic, and uh, archaeologists have been known to make that fantastic topic uh, incredibly boring at times. And I think we wanted to get away from that uh, that it's sort of insular perspective that professional archaeologists have because as as some of the introductory material to the program said uh, this is an esoteric field in some ways on the other hand it's very popular and as uh, as as we sort of drift into and and emerge into the age of sustainability where resources are more limited and uh, we have to be more imaginative as to where how we get our funds we have to by necessity, and 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 also because it's the right thing, we have to really make our uh, profession uh, known to the to the greater world. And uh, in that vein, today's program is called "Diggers and Relic Hunters and Popularizing Archaeology." as sort of a discipline and as a vocation as and as an avocation, if you will. My guest today is uh, Dr. Charles Ewan, who is uh, the uh, newly elected president of the Society for Historical Archaeology, and he'll be talking about that uh, to some degree as the pro- program goes on. Uh, but Dr. Ewan received his Ph.D. at the University of Florida in 1987 and has uh, since 1990 He's been a full professor at the Department of Anthropology at East Carolina University, 
And uh, as I said, he has just been elected president of the Society for Historical Archaeology, which is a major organization uh, in our profession in the United States. Like most archaeologists, circumstance led him to work on a variety of different types of sites, from prehistoric villages to uh, Civil War fortifications and 20th century homestead. While in North Carolina, uh, Dr. Ewan has directed uh, several projects at Tryon Palace Historic Sites and Gardens in New Bern, Fort Macon, State Park, Hope Plantation, Somerset Place, and a long-term archaeological study of Historic Bath in North Carolina. Besides having authored several articles and book uh, chapters, he is the author and editor of five books, and he is currently under contract with the University Press of of Florida to co-author a book to be entitled Roanoke uh, Reconsidered, What Happened in the Lost Colony, and several uh, and another volume on the archaeology of piracy. It's it's my special privilege to introduce uh, Charles Ewan. Uh, Thank you so much, Charlie, for appearing on the program. Well, thanks for having me, Joe. So let's get into it. Uh, we have done a number of programs on popularizing archaeology, and the fact of the matter is that we call this show Indiana Jones because it's a, it's an eye-catcher, and I think catching and appealing to people in this day and age is, is really what we have to do. We have to, we have to sort of expand our public relations potential, and we have to draw in uh, the general public, for the very simple reason that that our traditional funding has has dried up, and archaeology is very interesting. Where where does your where where did your philosophy and perspective on public archaeology emerge, and, and and how do you see it moving? Well, you know, I, I I've always been interested. In fact, as as long as I can remember, I've been interested in archaeology, and there was certainly no lack of books about that. And as I, as I went through and did archaeology, uh, especially uh, on sites that were in state parks or were accessible to the public, I, I, I always thought that when the public stopped by to see your site, you should stop and uh, explain what's going on. And I had colleagues uh, that really felt that when the public stopped by your site, they were keeping you from doing what you were supposed to do, is you know, keeping you from, from the digging. Um, I, I, I never really saw it that way, and uh, I, one of my, my first jobs in, in archaeology was at the Arkansas Archaeological Survey, and they are all about public archaeology there. Um, in fact, that's where the, the, uh, the, the term was coined by, by Hester Davis and Bob McGimsey, and, and their whole philosophy there was to reach out to the general public, and the whole Arkansas Archaeological Survey was set up to do just that. And then when I moved over to uh, East Carolina University, I, I sort of took that with me, and, and I, in fact, I'm, this semester I'm teaching a, a, a class in, in public archaeology, and, and I'm, I'm trying to, and, and, you know, not too difficult to sell to get the students to, to really be able to reach out to, to the general public. And this is something, and, and actually I think our, our profession has really kind of come along uh, in that regard. I, I can recall 20 years ago that if you were to, publish in, I don't know, National Geographic or Archaeology Magazine, you know, that was nice, but you didn't get any credit for it as, a, as an academic archaeologist. And, and that's kind of changing. Uh, I, I, I noticed you mentioned the, the books that I've done, and, and thank you for the, the plug, but um, the university presses now ask that you write in a way that is accessible to the interested amateur. It's not just writing for other archaeologists, and I, I think we need to do that. 
I do too. I think that you've hit upon a major point, and especially amongst uh, you know my generation. I mean, popularizing the profession was actually a no-no, mm-hmm. and we were sort of steeped in a tradition of knowledge expansion, knowing, knowing, and gaining, and. Uh, getting grants that were basically pure research-oriented from the National Science Foundation. And as you said, there is now a component of popularization, even with with the National Science Foundation, right. when you apply for a grant. I, I'm not sure at this point how significant it is. I think it's going to take certainly our generation or, or my generation a little bit of time, and it may never actually happen, but the new generation certainly is familiar with the need for this, and and they are placing a heavy emphasis on um, getting the public involved. So what is your read on it since you are in academia? Do you see that this change is actually happening at, at quicker than a glacial pace? I, I do, and I think it needs to happen even quicker. It's, it's, it's funny you mentioned the, uh, the NSF grant process. Uh, we just, um, the, the, the previous president and I have been responding to representatives Canders and Smith um, a, a sort of attack on NSF funding for archaeology. They, they, they picked on Mayan archaeology and they said, why are we spending taxpayer dollars on Mayan archaeology when this money could be spent on wounded warriors? Uh, and, you know, that's the kind of, uh, of, of attacks we need to be able to come back and say, well, no, we're not against, you know, helping, you know, uh, our wounded veterans. But on the other hand, we can do things with archaeology that, that actually do help wounded veterans. There, there's a program at Fort Bragg um, that uses um, veterans um, from Iraq and, and uh, other, you know, Afghanistan and, and, and those wars that, that transition them back into civilian society. And they, they work on, on, on do a little field work maybe, uh, work in the labs. And, but we, we need to make archaeology more relevant or the federal support for it is, is going to stop. Um, so that, that's I, I, some of the urgency on, on that. I think there is an urgency. We took on that topic actually about a month ago and uh, emphasized actually quite prominently that one of the major public initiatives right now is the Veterans Curation Project, which mm-hmm. uh, was introduced by Sonny Trimble right. at the St. Louis Army Corps of Engineers, basically bringing veterans back here and getting them involved in collections, processing of artifacts, and essentially demothballing, if you will, um, these collections that have been sitting around since uh, the, the the basin collection days, the river basin survey days in the 30s, mm-hmm, 50s, mm-hmm. Yeah, WPA and, stuff and, and, and WPA and stuff, and, and making it very productive. And <clears throat> I don't think it's I, – I think it is – Somewhat ironic that these same uh, Congress people who uh, sort of uh, poo-pooed archaeology in the NSF, these were a lot of the folks that actually voted against that kind of an appropriation. And it was, uh, you know, obviously been a very successful program and very beneficial all around. But the question is, is, is much broader than that. And of course, you know, one of the, uh, one of the items that we've addressed several times before was when those, uh, the diggers programs came on. There were those two uh, programs that, that, uh, were, were taken on by uh, 
by the, the, the History Channel, and um, there was a frontal assault by a lot of archaeologists who were very offended by it. I kind of took a, an anti-position on that, and and I kind of feel my feeling is that if if you're you're sold on archaeology as a professional, you should be able to convey that message. And um, quite frankly, it was the same uproar back in the 80s when the Indiana Jones movies came out, and a lot of the archaeologists at that time who you know, I will say are a little, maybe even stodgier than we are, um, <laughs> said that this is an affront and, and that this is a false depiction. And my feeling is just, you got to get the attention. Once you get the attention, then uh, it gets to the, no, po- no, there is no such thing as bad publicity kind of a situation. And then you have to turn it into a positive. So how are you seeing that happen? And in your position as the, the president of the SHA, how do you think uh, we're able to, to convert this into a positive? Well, you know, that, I, I'm glad you brought that up. That's, that's, I, I was in a, a roundtable discussion at the, the last SHA meeting just recently in Quebec and um, it, that talked about reality TV shows. And, and you're right, there is a, there is a large, uh, in fact, probably the majority of our profession hates these shows. Um, uh, they feel like they um, devalue what we do, that it, it's all about putting a price on the artifacts, and it, it encourages looting of sites, and 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 sort of all the all the uh, the shows get lumped together. Whether it's yeah. the National Geographic Channel's Diggers, uh, Spike Channel's Savage Family Diggers, Travel sure. Channel's Dig Fellas, Dig Wars, they're not all the same. Um, I mean, they have similar elements, but uh, I, I'll, I'll stick. We'll start with uh, National Geographic's uh, Diggers show. Um, they put that out uh, a couple years ago, and and the and the profession, and rightly so, was was startled, and they said, "Oh my gosh, you know what's going on here? We've got these two metal detecting guys beeping around, finding artifacts, and and it, it appeared at the end of the show selling them, and so this was awful, and it was a National Geographic. Holy moly, you know." Yeah, right. We, we thought they were our friends, and so right. we we uh, we protested. We sent all the all the organizations sent a letter, and the National Geographic. We sent them to Spike, and we sent them to Travel Channel. Those other guys, they just thought it was great publicity, and they said, "Well, why don't you come on and and debate Rick Savage on our show?" And and I I, I told Paul Mullins, the, the previous president, maybe we could do a tag team match and and go after right. him, but. Um, we 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 declined that. Uh, we thought that being on those shows and and with their editing, it would it would serve no purpose. National Geographic though was embarrassed, and they had us come to uh, their headquarters in in Washington D.C. Uh-huh. and we had a roundtable discussion with what uh, they were trying to do, what our concerns were, and how we could make the show better. And one of the things I said was, well, you uh, you can't sell the artifacts. That that's a line that we just don't cross. Cross, right? Um, of course. We're also concerned with the context. You know, you're not just finding stuff; it's it's where you find it in relation to everything else. Of course. And we said you should have an archaeologist on your staff that can record where things are finding. Uh, and in these artifacts, it should be explicit that they go back to the to the landowner. And and maybe you have these guys work with ongoing archaeological projects where metal detecting would be useful. And so they, they agreed to a lot of these things. They hired uh, an archaeologist. Well, actually, they hired an archaeologist, and now they have a, a contract firm that they, they have go with them on all their shows. They don't sell the artifacts. Um, in fact, apparently they never did. Uh, but they do, like many shows, 
uh, reality shows, at the end put a value on, you know, this is a Civil War button, and it's, they, they tell all about its history, but they also say, and it's worth $6.95. Um, this, this is a huge problem for, for, for many archaeologists. I'm less bar- bothered by that if I can sneak in some archaeology. And, and here's, the, here's the, the crux of it. Is it, a, is it a good show for archaeologists? You know, probably not. Uh, in fact, certainly not. Um, but it's not aimed at archaeologists. It's aimed at a whole group of people that we never reach. That's true. And um, I feel, and, and, they, and actually I, I am going to appear on one of their shows coming up. They've already shot it, and um, I, I think it's coming in February or March, and maybe I'll feel different after I actually see it, depending on how it's edited. But I felt that, look, I, I'm having a project. We had this agreement where if, if they could help an archaeologist and maybe we could get some information across, we should do that. So they came out to a site I was working on. Yes, they were silly, and, and they did all their cornball jokes and, and such. And then I had them ask me, when they had found some artifacts, they, I had them ask me what it was worth. And I said, I don't know what it's worth money-wise. What I think its value is, it, it tells me something about the people that lived on this site, and it tells me where I, I might want to continue excavating to find out more about the, the history of this, of this plantation site that I was working on. And, and I think that's, that's the point, isn't it, ultimately? I, I think so. And so uh, we'll be back with uh, Dr. Char- Charlie Ewan uh, after these words, and we will pick up on this theme. Voice counts. Call toll free 1 866 472 5787. 1 866 472 5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Each week, Jimmy Gould brings you the stories and the people that you want to hear about. Tune in to A Current Life to hear about the journey to success, how our guests became the people they are today, and the highs and lows they experienced along the way. Each hour will leave you inspired and entertained as Jimmy gets up close and personal with every week's guest and shares ideas you can identify with and apply to your own life. A Current Life with Jimmy Gould airs Fridays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. To be a part of our discussion today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to indianajonesmythreality at gmail.com. Now, back to the program. I'm back with our special guest, Dr. Charlie Ewan of East Carolina University. He is the newly elected president of the Society for Historic Archaeology, which is the premier historic archaeological organization in the United States and uh, is also internationally recognized as a major um, advocate for archaeology, especially for North American archaeology as well. 
Um, so, Charlie, we were talking about this entire question of uh, the popularization of archaeology, the uh, image of archaeology that's been presented in in the wake of uh, the increased popularity of our profession on the History Channel, to some degree on PBS and National Geographic. And we're crossing into this very, very delicate area of ethics and archaeology and, and, and how it's portrayed and, and, and what we as archaeologists can do to sort of uh, at least change the perception of what archaeology is other than simply recovering artifacts of monetary value. Uh, why don't you uh, expound a little bit on that idea and where we as professionals can contribute to changing this sort of an ethos and mentality of, of the commercialization of archaeology. Well, and, and it, you're right, Joe. This, is, this gets to be a very delicate uh, a question. Uh, for example, on, on the Digger show, uh, I, was, I was asked um, when, they, when they found artifacts, I had them ask me, how much is this worth? Because I, I wanted to get that, that question out. Uh, on all these shows like Antiques Roadshow or American Pickers or, sure. or Storage Wars, at the end it's always, da -da 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 -da, here's how much this is worth and here's how much, you know, that sort of thing. The public wants to see that. And, uh, you know, there is, a, there is a, a fear that if an archaeologist, a real archaeologist is on a show and that somehow uh, a monetary value is attached to an artifact, that that archaeology is condoning the commodification or commercialization right. of artifacts. To me, no one learns if no one's listening. And what I had them do is ask me, how much is this worth? And I said, money-wise, I have no idea. I said, and that's not the important thing. For me, this value is what it can tell me about the site I'm, I'm excavating, uh, who was living there, how old the site is. It, it, it's the information that, that it gives me. That's the important thing. And that's what I wanted to sort of sneak in to this show that – as I said before, it's not really geared towards archaeologists. It's, it's geared to public who likes looking for people finding stuff. Um, so I, I think we need to take some of these opportunities to reach a population that really wouldn't tune into a PBS show or uh, you know, a, a, a one-hour documentary on archaeology. There are a lot of people that do that, but there are far more people that don't. But let me ask you something, Charlie. I mean, this is something that... that uh, I, again, I, as I said before, we, we, we have obviously changed a little bit in, in our perspective on pedagogy and teaching archaeology and, and emphasizing to students, graduate students and undergraduates, that it's really important to communicate your message to the public. Has the structure within the acad academic, within academic circles changed sufficiently so that you start out or somewhere well into your preparation for your degree, you start to understand that communication with the public is really becoming one of the most critical elements of what you're going to do professionally? At the undergraduate level, uh, I'm not sure. And I think it really varies uh, from place to place where you're, where you're pursuing your degree. Um, and it depends on, on how comfortable uh, the, the, the particular faculty member is working with uh, the, the general public. And let's face it, a lot of people don't go into archaeology because they like working with living people. You know, maybe just the opposite. It's, exactly. Uh, yeah, and, and so one of the things that we don't get trained in a lot is how to talk to the, the general public. And we tend to, you know, 
hide back in our labs or dig in remote places and and we're perfectly happy to to publish in obscure journals and and as the university system has expanded and and more and more people are going to to college I, I think we're having to reach out to a, a lot more people than, than we would have thought about uh, in the past. And archaeology has changed. And academics are being rewarded for being more popular. Uh, I, know, I know that my university, East Carolina, is excited that I'm going to be on this show. Um, they were very excited when the National Geographic Channel uh, asked to come out and, and, and participate on one of my digs. Uh, I, right. I'm, I'm kind of withholding my fire until I see what the show looks like. But, you know, but the, the, the university, and, and I think across the board, is, is reaching out to the public. I mean, are we going to start changing our curricula so that in, in, once you get into graduate school, instead of getting a steady diet of, say, uh, adaptation in classic Mesoamerican society, we're going to say, get a course in the popularization of archaeology, what it means and where it's going? Are we going to start to see that? Because we, don't, we certainly don't have that now. I, I think, no, I, I, Joe, I think we actually are starting to see... Um, things along that nature. One of the, the courses that um, is in preparation uh, at my university is um, anthropology and, and contemporary film. And it's, it's going to look at uh, how, how anthropology is portrayed in contemporary film and how the public, uh, how the students should be able to uh, assess what, what is good and what is bad betrayals in the film. I, I, I think we're looking more and more at that, and, and my colleagues that I talk to at, at conferences, there are uh, a lot more public archaeology classes. I, when I Google it now, I, I find several, seven or eight syllabi, um, whereas before there were, you know, maybe one or two. Um, I, I think it's starting to expand the way, and I, and, I, and I think it really needs to, and I think the people that reward me for what I do, the administration, sure. you know, uh, a publication in Archaeology Magazine Maybe it doesn't hold the same currency as something in historical archaeology or American antiquity, but it still counts for something. And um, uh, doing public talks is, is viewed as, as very useful. I think that's true. And I think the other thing that we really have to do, and I'd like to have you talk a little bit about this, is to develop relationships between the avocational community and not necessarily sort of blackball them, which, which had been a tradition uh, in many, many situations. Um, how, do we, how do we communicate our message about archaeology and context and, and essentially trying to get people who are really interested in this field to understand that, that the artifact itself is not the story, but the place in which the artifact was found is the story. How do we bridge that gap? That's the one that, that I think has befuddled a lot of people. Well, I, I think how we do that is to not do the knee-jerk, oh my gosh, what have you done when somebody brings in an artifact that they right. dug up on their father's farm? Um, right. we, I, I think we have to, and this is actually this is something I, I, I took away from my, my time at the Arkansas Archaeological Survey, is they, they work with the general public and amateurs all the time. Right. And, and you, you, the people that bring you stuff bring it to you because they're interested. And maybe they don't understand how digging destroys the context and, and removes the meaning from the artifact. So I, I find it 
it, my job is to turn them from the dark side and get them to sort of see, oh my goodness, you know, I, I probably shouldn't have done that. I, I've had people say that on many occasions. Wow, I, I guess I shouldn't have dug that up, you know, and, and you say, well, yeah, you probably shouldn't have, but now we know about this site and, and this is what we should do. In fact, there's a great example. Uh, I was contacted uh, just before Christmas uh, by a, a person in a town just north of where I'm at now, and he said, we've been, uh, we in the Historical Society have this really great colonial tavern site that we've been digging. And I went, oh my, <laughs> really? Right, right. And he sent me uh, a flash drive with some of the artifacts, and it, it was, it was boggling, <laughs> mind-boggling. It was, it, it was a very pure 19th, early, early 18th century assemblage, and I, I, it was just astounding. And, and they were looking for help. And so how I, I went up and I talked to them and I, I looked at where they were mining the stuff from. And, and I, 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 you know, without screaming in horror, I said, oh, my goodness. So what, what do we have here? And, and the more I discussed and asked questions, they thought, well, gosh, maybe we haven't been digging this properly. And I said, you know, I have a, a student looking for a thesis. And perhaps that student could work with you and analyze the stuff that you have. We might be able to clean up your, your excavation site, get an idea of what's going on. And by, by the end of our conversation, we were, I mean, they were looking at the university to be in charge of everything. And, uh, and, and I, I see that as sort of the way we can get other people to, to turn us on to sites, and then we can show them how we do stuff and why it's important to dig way that archaeologists do and, and, and let the professionals do their jobs. Let them find the sites and let us know about them, but, you know, let us take it from there. Yeah, a lot of it is a question of attitude. Instead of talking top-down, you sort of talk bottom-up, I think, and, and, and just uh, treat everybody appropriately. And, and, and as it equals, we're all trying to learn about the past. Let's see how our way works, and, and let's, let's uh, just try to merge our talents and skills, and everybody will, will sort of feel productive about it, I guess. Yeah, I, I tell my students, I say, look, you know, your mother's raised you better than that. You don't bad-mouth people <laughs> when they don't do things the, the way you were taught in, 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 in college. Uh, you, you are polite to them. They're, they're reaching out to you because they're interested, and you don't just smack them away. Otherwise, they'll quit talking to you, and you will never know about those sites. And again, it becomes a question of communication and public relations to a large degree. And uh, we're going to get back with our special guest, Dr. Charles Ewan of East Carolina University, right after these words. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Living your best life isn't just about fitness and health. It's also about living a better life emotionally and creating balance. You know where you want to be, but what steps do you take to get there? Listen to Good Health for a Great Life with host Rick Barnabo. We'll bring you guest experts and tools to help you connect the dots from who and where you are to who and where you want to be. It's time to take responsibility for your life. Listen every Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. 
Ready to chat about your favorite soap operas? The daytime discussion is here with Dan J. Kroll and Soap Central Live. For the past 15 years, Dan has been dishing and discussing on SoapCentral.com. And now he's taking the talk to the airwaves of the Voice America Variety Channel. You'll go behind the scenes with the biggest stars of daytime, along with guest commentary from the Soap Central columnists. And we'll take your questions and comments during our live show. Soap Central Live, every Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific, on Voice America Variety. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Listening to Indiana Jones Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. To be a part of our discussion today, please call 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. Or send an email to Indiana Jones Myth Reality at gmail.com. Now, back to the program. Charles Ewan is a uh, historical archaeologist and has just been elected as the president of the Society of Historical Archaeology, and uh, he is becoming a prominent voice in trying to bridge the gap between the traditional academic view of archaeology and the need to reach out to the public and especially emphasize programs in public archaeology and education for a variety of reasons and we were talking over the break as to how this mentality and how that perspective on expanding our horizons in archaeology and looking at its aims in sort of a broader context how that emerged and uh, Charlie was was actually bringing it back down to the to the real basics which is really why do we do this stuff and if we can explain why we do this stuff how can we influence uh, legislatures and government entities to promote it i mean we do have a national historic preservation act we do have mechanisms in force that mandate our doing it but getting back to the basics why do we do it and why do we try to convey this message and how should that message be conveyed so let me put this to you charlie mm-hmm. why do we do it and why do we go this way well, you know, and it's it's a question that seems obvious for all of us that are in archaeology. Why do we do that? But when I ask my students, and, and in my public archaeology class this semester, it's the first thing I ask, and I go around the room and I say, why are you in this class? Most of the, the students in this class are, are graduate students. And I say, why do you want to make a career in archaeology? Why do you like archaeology? Because until you can articulate that uh, to your friends, to your parents, to people that aren't archaeologists, it, you, you will never be able to really sell it uh, and, and, and get support from the general public. And it, it, it never fails to sort of, no one's ever asked them that um, in, in quite that way. And you pointed out at the beginning of the, of the show is that everybody's interested in archaeology. That, that's not been our problem, uh, is getting people interested in archaeology. It's what do we do with that interest? Uh, I, I can't tell you how many times I've, I've, I've been at parties uh, where there are plenty of non-archaeologists uh, or, you know, my in-laws or something like that, and someone says, well, what do you do? And I say, well, I'm an archaeologist. And they stop, and they go, oh, that is so interesting. 
I wanted to be an archaeologist. And then they don't know what to ask next. And, <laughs> and, and you got to be careful that you don't, as you say, start boring them to tears with what it is that you do. You right. have to pitch it to them in such a way. I, I say I'm interested, as just about everybody is, in, in the past. And I don't want to just read about it. I, I want to find out about it. I want to touch the past. And I don't think you can, you can really oversell the importance of that, that tactile connection to the past you can sure. you can talk about the civil war but when you're holding uh, mini balls that were shot during a battle somehow that that gives you a real connection and that that link stimulates your interest to find out more about what happened where did this artifact come from who held some person hundreds or thousands of years ago used this and it it just it, it sometimes it just still sends shivers up my spine uh, when you find that artifact that has initials carved on it or something. You go, wow, this is some real person's bottle or comb. We, we found at Fort Macon, we found a comb that someone had, had carved into it, uh, their initials and what regiment they were in. And you just think, huh, you know, uh, uh, someone did this 150 years ago. And while they were here, like I'm sitting right here, and, and it, it's that connection to the past. That's, for me, what really does it, is, is getting a real link with the past, and, and it interests me. Yeah, but I, I guess my question in that, okay, so it's a fascinating topic, but do we, is our objective to imbue that fascination to other people, or do we have a concrete message? And obviously the concrete message is, is uh, and, and we've articulated this in the past, is to know where we're going, we need to go where, we need to know where we've been. And that's, I find that that's a tough message to convey. It is a tough message, and you know, it gets to almost be a platitude. That's why I didn't use that particular one. But I, I really do think that if we can show the continuity of the people in the past were people like us with the same sort of problems that we have today, um, and we can learn from that, uh, then yeah, I, I think this trying to make archaeology to solve pragmatic problems, which we can on occasion, uh, but I don't necessarily think that's our big message. I think our big message is we need, as, as humans, I, I think we need to do more than just feed and clothe ourselves. We need to find out about things. And that's what archaeology does. It, we find out about the past. And, do, and yeah, go ahead. that's I'm a sorry. good thing. Uh, you know, one of the one of the thoughts that that I've been asking a number of our guests as our as our program rolls along is that we are obviously entering into an age that is extremely challenging with problems that are of a scale that we probably haven't seen before. Issues like climate change, issues like sustainability. Uh, these are topics that that essentially threaten our existence and, and 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 threaten the way in which we balance our developmental concerns and our, our survivability concerns. And I think that archaeology is just the best window for looking at that because we have been through 
these types of monumental changes in the past and we can use those in a sense, obviously with major modifications, as a blueprint for the future. How do you see that and how can we well, convey that message, which is a tough one to do? Well, it is a tough one, but I, I think you're exactly right by saying, look, you know, humanity has faced these challenges in the past. We have faced climate change problems, in fact, much greater climate change than we're facing today. Uh, that past humans ha have struggled yeah. with that. Uh, we've, cha we've, uh, uh, the El Nino phenomenon in, 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 uh, the Andean civilizations was, was problematic, and yet they were able to overcome some of these problems. Uh, just the very fact that we can demonstrate that humanity in the past has faced these problems and overcome them it, it gives us, I, th I think, a, a better spirit in, in, facing them with our advanced technology today, saying, gosh, if they could do it, what's our problem? But, but I think that's a real one. I mean, I think that yeah. th that's where we really have to not only imbue our, um, our public with fascination, but alert them to the need to take responsibility, civic responsibility to move legislators to get us into a window on our on 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 the future by looking at the past with with great care and with some direction and i don't think we're doing that and and i'm wondering how we can do this how can we we can incorporate these types of ideas into academic programs and ultimately into funding agencies that will allow us to convey these messages going forward well, and we've got we've got to take them out of the jargon and put them into you know everyday every everyday English. One of the things that historical archaeology does that I and one of the reasons I I really like being a historical archaeologist is that it can take things that we all know about that we all know as historic truths and and find out that maybe they're not so true and right um, and and can fill in things that you know. One of, one of the ideas people ask me, well, isn't this all written down somewhere? And I say, no, no, it isn't. Uh, there's the a, a lot. Of, it's not the most, James Dietz once uh, tongue-in-cheek called uh, historical archaeology the most expensive way to find out about something we already know. Right. Um, but, but really, uh, I'll just use an example. Um, we, we know very little about slave life. There's been a lot written about it, but we don't have much in the way of slave narratives, and all we have are... Uh, a, a lot of what the, the slave owners wrote about. With historical archaeology, we can excavate slave cabins and find out more about their lives that weren't written about, that maybe they didn't want the owners to know about, things hidden under the, under the, uh, the, the floors of the, of the cabins that they lived in. Uh, we find things, my, my students are, are stunned to find out at uh, Kingsley Plantation that the slaves owned guns. Uh, well, how can that be? And well, uh, how can that be? Let's let's talk about you know how slaves supplemented their diet or even hunted for uh, the the owner's table um, using firearms. And no, it wasn't an instant revolt after that. It, it you just you you learn so many different things. I like to use the example of um, when we're when we're looking at the past. The past is like a crime scene. And the historians are the detectives taking depositions and gathering their evidence that way. And the, the historical archaeologists are the crime scene technicians, uh, the investigators, 
and we all know who's cooler and which evidence stands up better in court. So uh, um, I, I think in that regard, we can, we can find out things that, that are, are, are not discoverable any other way. This book I'm working on now about the, the lost colony, the only way we're going to find out what happened to the lost colony of, of, of Roanoke in, in North Carolina is to find where they went archaeologically. There's very little written about it, and um, well, that that to me is, is is some of the value to to really correct history, to fill in the gaps on history, to give us a, a broader sense of our past, so that we can have a better direction of where to go. I think you're hitting on something very very intriguing, and that that is unique, I think, in many ways to uh, to historic archaeology because there is that other. Um, Source, which uh, in many many people's minds is the unimpeachable source, source, which is of course the written record, and uh, we very often, even as we do today, we ignore the fact that the written record also reflects a certain amount of bias on the part mm-hmm. of the writers. And uh, when we get back, Charlie, I'd like you to talk a little bit about the unique contributions of historic archaeology and the types of things that we are getting from the archaeological record that we would have no idea about um, if we were just relying on historic documentation and how archaeology in a very, very real and pragmatic sense uh, restructures our per- perceptions and interpretations of history. And we'll do that after we come back from these messages. Stay tuned. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com When you think of museums, what comes to mind? Is it ancient history? Rotating displays of collections? Are they nice places to visit? Or are they essential to our cities and society? Listen for Museum Life with host Carol Bossert. We'll discuss what the attraction is and historical importance of museums and what they contribute to the economic makeup of our cities and country. Museum Life can be heard live every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in to Patricia Raskin Positive Living on VoiceAmerica.com every Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time. This program brings you practical and inspiring principles for living a more authentic, engaging, and passionate life. Patricia's guests will give you a formula for connecting, giving, forgiving, and miraculous living. So tune in and call in to Patricia Raskin Positive Living Mondays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. It's practical, positive solutions for a happy, empowered, and successful life the internet's number one talk station number one talk station voiceamerica.com you're listening to indiana jones myth reality and 21st century archaeology with dr joseph schuldenrein to be a part of our discussion today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to Indiana Jones Myth Reality at gmail.com. Now, back to the program. 
Charles Ewan is a professor of anthropology at East Carolina University and also the incoming president of the Society for Historic Archaeology. And we have been discussing some of the major issues confronting our profession in the recent past and in certainly in the past uh, decade or so. And that is conveying the message of archaeology to the public and uh, one of the fascinating elements of archaeology from the historic periods is that we really have two narratives that don't always mesh. And the first mar- narrative is obviously the historic and written, re- historic written record. And the other one is the type of information that one can glean from actual archaeological studies, surveys, and excavations. And while one would expect the one to corroborate the other, that's not necessarily the truth, um, because the fact is that Historic narratives are often biased by the writers of history, and archaeology can also be argued, by the way, is biased by the perspective of the archaeologist (laughs) who's excavating the site, but that's a topic for another time. But let's just look at the fundamental and and rudimentary issues here. How does historic archaeology uh, often either bolster, negate, or supplement um, the historic record? Charles, why don't you give us a little bit of information? Information on that. Well, and, and that's always been the uh, the 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 real value of, of doing historical archaeology. Um, as I said earlier, people ask me, "Isn't this all written down somewhere?" Uh, and to which I say, "Well, well, no. Um, uh, you can think of um, history as uh, Robin Leach, lifestyles of the rich and famous, and you, right, you learn course, about yeah. what important people are doing during important times in history." Whereas uh, archaeology, historical archaeology, might be more like Paul Harvey's The Rest of the Story. You find out about what everybody else is doing the rest of the time. And right. What, what everybody, you know, the, the mundane things that people didn't think to write down, because why should they? Well, maybe people later on do want to know about it, such as ourselves. Um, but as, as you point out, even when you are writing down stuff about what you're doing or, or what you see happening, that's that writer's perspective, and they they may not understand what they're seeing. Uh, in fact, we have um, historic uh, explorers' accounts when they encounter the uh, the, the native peoples uh, in in the southeastern U.S. DeSoto when he goes through. He's writing down, and his chroniclers are writing down what they see. But are they understanding what they're seeing? Um, the archaeology can come through and and, and maybe clarify some of these ideas sometimes people are lying <laughs> because of course uh, it may be a, an administrator um for example like john white the uh governor of the roanoke colony and he writes comes back and he writes well these people are gone but i know they went to to croatan and i'm sure everybody's fine there they're in god's hands and i'm going to leave and he's not going to write down I'm an idiot. I left when I shouldn't have. And, you know, why did anyone put me in charge? And they're not, people don't generally write stuff down um, that isn't complimentary to what they're doing. Uh, So uh, the archaeology can set the record straight uh, is, is kind of the way I look at. And it also fills in for the, the uh, disenfranchised people, the, the, um, the people without history that, um, 
don't aren't, aren't able, aren't literate, uh, and, and cannot write about themselves. The only way we're going to find out about those folks is is through archaeology, whether they be um, uh, plantation slaves in the southeast or uh, Chinese railroad workers in in California, um, or other immigrant laborers in 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 uh, in Western mines or something like that. Uh, oftentimes, archaeology is going to be the only way we can get a look at these people's lives. How about in your own research? I know you've done a lot of work in, in early Roanoke, and why don't you give us a couple of examples or an example that uh, emerges in the, along those lines from your own work? Well, for example, uh, the, the, this lost colony uh, research that you have, oh, there, there's uh, two dozen books out on what happened to the Roanoke colonies. Right. Uh, that they they went inland and they became the Melungeons, or they um, they they went farther south and became the Lumbee Indians, or they were wiped out by the Spaniards, or they uh, were wiped out by Powhatan farther north, or they tried to sail back. It's all based on not very uh, under a hundred pages of text, um, and that that's all we have. And when uh, what I like to tell uh, folks when I give my talks on the Lost Colony is when you have so little data, you can come up with all kinds of stories as to what might have happened. And we won't really know what happens until we find uh, the, the evidence of them in the ground. And right now, that's, that's pretty much lacking. And so that's, that's one of the things that, that I'm working on. Uh, earlier on uh, in my career, I, I worked in the, in the Caribbean and was looking at how the Spaniards adapted to the New World. Uh, did they try and recreate a new Spain? Well, they tried, but they couldn't because they were so far away from, from home uh, and logistics were a little difficult. Did they chuck their duds and go native? Uh, no one ever does that, uh, and they didn't. Uh, so what was a compromise? What did they keep? What did they, uh, what did they adopt from the new world? And, and how did they create a new uh, Spanish-American culture? Uh, well, that's some of the things archaeology can tell us. Similarly for the slaves, uh, they're uprooted from Africa, brought over here without much stuff at all, and a generation later, they're not African anymore. They're African-American. How does that right. culture get, get put together? So these are the things that archaeology can tell us, and it, it can keep telling us about immigrant peoples uh, throughout history up to the present day. And I think that's the message that we really have to convey going forward and what it's what people always ask you and and all of us who are in this this very unusual field well what's the use of it it's just a fascinating uh, tale and i I think you're absolutely putting your your hand right on it your finger right on it when you say one of the major issues is that uh, archaeology teaches us uh, how the other half lived, and not even mm-hmm. the other half, how the 95% live, if you want to, if you want to go to that, because they were the voiceless and the people whose stories did not get recounted because of uh, socioeconomic circumstances, poverty, and oppression in many places. And I think uh, that's a narrative that applies as much today as it did then. And uh, it's something that we have to do, I think, a much better job in conveying, even though obviously it does have political overtones. Um, I, I think we really need to be much better conveyors of a message. And, 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 and we need to reach out in, 
in the media that we're we're not comfortable doing it in. Correct. I mean, all of. Most of us can stand up in a in a class and and give a lecture on, on this sort of thing, or or yeah, it's not too much of a, a stretch to go talk to the local DAR chapter. We know these old ladies like to hear us, and they're not going to be asking <laughs> us uncomfortable questions. But I, I think we need to go beyond that, and 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 maybe talk to uh, the print media, the newspapers, uh, um, to maybe some of these more popular shows. And, and, and you, you take a risk when you do that. Um, but I think it's a risk worth taking uh, because someone else is going to take your words and, and maybe spin them a bit. But one of my former professors, uh, Jerry Milanich, once wrote that a single article on his work in the New York Times reaches more people than every book he's ever written put together. So. And that's, that is really the truth. So we have to be more savvy about this, and we have to go out there and make sure or do our best to make sure that our words don't get twisted and that we should be responsible for actually conveying that message and, and, and to some degree redirecting it as much as we can. And I think those are skills that we have to start teaching at the graduates, uh, graduate student level, and it, it's every bit as important as reaching out and, and uh, simply compiling knowledge for the sake of compiling knowledge. Absolutely. And on that note, I'm afraid we're going to have to end our program uh, for this evening. I want to express my special thanks to Charlie Ewan, as I said, the entering president of the Society for Historic Archaeology, and we can only hope that an increased awareness of the need for us to convey our message is going to be received by our professional community if we want it to be absorbed appropriately. And thank you so much, Charlie, and uh, we'll see everybody. And we'll see you all next time. Thanks and good evening. Thanks again for tuning in to Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. Please join us for another unique journey into the past next Wednesday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. In the meantime, think about the past with an eye towards the future and a better tomorrow. Tomorrow.